This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. You can let your self-doubt crush you, pin you in a corner, and never let you live your life the way you really want to. Never feel as good about yourself as you really want to. Or you can learn the techniques needed to crush it. In her book, Corinna Thurston lays out numerous tips and techniques used to boost your self-esteem, manage your anxieties, crush your self-doubt, and gain real, lasting confidence. Through her unique experiences, she uses examples to highlight how these techniques work, how powerful they can be, and why they're so important. You're stronger than you realize. You have more value, importance, and talent than you give yourself credit for. Don't let your self-doubt sabotage you. Don't let it get in the way of creating and grabbing onto opportunities in your life. Don't let it stop you from doing the things you want to do, standing up for yourself, or feeling good about yourself. Valerie Atelis interviews Corinna Thurston, the author of How to Crush Self-Doubt and Gain Real Confidence. Corinna Thurston is a professional wildlife artist, author, consultant, and speaker working in Vermont, USA. Watch her TEDx talk, Why We Should Teach Gratitude in School. Meet Corinna at CorinnaThurston.com. Here's the interview with Corinna Thurston. In your own words, who is Karina Thurston? Um, I'm a wildlife artist, and I'm also a speaker, and I do some consulting, and I do, um, I'm an author of, of three books, and I'm someone who just, I love animals and nature, and I just love trying to help help people in any way that I can. That purpose, I call it a purpose. What would you call that, um, yeah, what do you do today? I agree with that. I think, you know, I, I fell chronically ill when I was only 18 years old and I was mostly bedridden for over six years. Um, and before that, I really didn't have any intention to spend my life trying to help other people or do artwork or do any of the things that I do now. And, um, it was really the silver lining of, of everything that horrible, you know, that happened to me is that, this artwork and the writing and the being able to really touch people's lives came out of it, you know, and I think that that was sort of a destiny thing, you know, uh, it just sort of happened. <laughs> Do you believe sometimes I ask the question about this idea that um, we go through challenges so we can learn these uh, deeper lessons that we can find our purpose? Do you believe in such a thing? Yeah, I think so. I mean, what I went through, I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but also, I mean, it gave me such a different perspective. And that perspective really changed my life and the way that I do things and the way that I see the world. 
and the way that I connect with people. Um, I don't think I would connect with people the same way at all if I hadn't gone through those things. In a way, what you're saying that everything's connected. There's yeah. nothing that's separate, yeah. right? And another question I have for you is when finding purpose, um, what are the signs we have finally found our purpose? There's something someone told me about once that is like, I forget how they worded it. It's the the laugh cry response. Mm, yeah. Um, that where, <laughs> so there was this woman who was trying to decide, you know, if she wanted to do her artwork full time. And I, you know, I was asking her questions and trying to help her figure that out. And she was talking about the laugh cry response and how, it made her elated, you know, to think about doing it and also petrified. And I was right. like, that's great. <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. where you want to be. You know, that's how mm. you know you're on the edge of something really transformational mm. um, is that you it's it just makes you so excited and also nervous. <laughs> I'll be asking you more questions about comfort zone and fear oh, and lots of other topics <laughs> in the <laughs> moment. But before that, talk to me about real confidence. What does it look like or feel like? to be real confident? I think when you're really confident and you're in tune with yourself and you can own who you are, it's a full sense of being. And I think it means that you are the same person no matter where you go, no matter who you're around, you know, no matter what happens, you have the same views, you know, you have the same inspirations you have and aspirations, you know, any, anything that is you stays the same. You might, you might talk a little differently when you're in different situations, but really the core of who you are is you, you know, you don't try to change for the people around you. So it's connected to something we call authenticity. Right. Yeah. Gen like a, just being genuine. Yes. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. And it has to do with uh, self-knowledge and self-awareness, right, Karina? Knowing right. oneself. Knowing your worth, you know, like mm. just knowing that your opinions yeah. are your opinions, you know, or whatever it is about yourself that you might have not been super confident about before, <laughs> you know, that you can you can stand up and say, you know, this is how I feel. And that is the journey of um, ending, as you call it, a crushing self-doubt. And would you say that is a journey, really, as I just mentioned? Oh, yeah. Or that's a moment in time? I would say it's a it's a long journey. And it's one that I'm not sure has a full ending. A lot of the stuff in my in my book is really stuff that you want to continue to practice, you know, throughout your life as you continue. Yeah. Um, so it is yep. a journey. Yes, something Definitely. That we, yeah, we are constantly learning. That makes so much sense. You said about self-confidence in your book, you write, don't try to impress anyone. Trying to impress someone is not confidence. And that is so true, isn't it? This idea of trying to be something we are not so we can give this good impression or, or look good to others. And this is, a, I think, it becomes a challenge for people who are empath, they call it, where they try to kind of please everyone. They don't want to hurt them. So what do you, would you say is the balance between honoring yourself, being yourself, and also honoring others? Well, I, I talk about in the book, too, learning how to say no. 
I think it's really, yeah. And I I think it's really important to know your own limitations. And sometimes that means you're going to have to push past them to know where they are, you know? Um, and I, I do that with my health and I do that with my own comfort zone and stuff all the time is you trying to go outside it a bit and see, see where those lines really are because they do shift. They're not always the same. And I think it's important to know that when you're doing the best thing for yourself, you're usually doing the best thing for the people around you as well, because you're, if you're your best self, they get more out of you, you know, as well. So the people who always try to please other people, which, you know, I was one of them. So, you know, it's okay to, to say no and to put up those boundaries, you know, and the better, the better you are for yourself and the more self-care you can do, the better you're going to be for all those people around you. We cannot give what we don't have. Right. Pour from an empty cup. Right. Yeah. It's really hard to do, though, because we get that that unnecessary guilt, you know, of saying no. (laughs) (laughs) So how do we deal with that? What's the best way from your perspective, Corina? Guilt is really tricky. Um, Sometimes you have it and you just don't even realize that's what it is, you know. And I have had I've struggled with guilt a lot in my lifetime, especially being chronically ill. I think people with chronic illnesses or even just injuries or, or any sort of problem feel a lot of guilt and they feel like a burden on the people around them. And it's important to recognize when you're feeling that way, you know, think, stop yourself and kind of think critically, did I do anything wrong? Because guilt is really about, you know, if you did something wrong and me falling chronically ill was not my fault, (laughs) you know, or getting injured or doing, you know, having to cancel plans or something like that. It's not necessarily your fault. And so if you didn't purposefully do something wrong, then, you know, think about that guilt and just sort of tie it up in a bag and toss (laughs) it over. (laughs) I like that. Uh, Yeah, that sounds um, very good to me (laughs) to do that. Um, It's easier said than done. But over time, you know, with some of the other techniques, you know, with like positive affirmations and things like that, it really helps to kind of limit, limit that guilt. Do you believe in the practice of unconditional self-love? Is that realistic? Yeah, I think it is. I think I think there's the person who we are today and there's the person that we really want to be. And I'm not sure if that person will ever necessarily completely line up. Um, but I think that our journey in life is to try and get to that place. And if you're not there, you know, if you're if there's little little bits and pieces that don't quite fit in, that's totally fine. That's okay. You don't need to be this perfect person. You just need to know that, you know, your scars have reasoning behind them, you know, that you learn these lessons from from the things that go wrong. And, you know, I'm not a perfect person every day. I'm not a perfect mom every day. I'm not a perfect wife every day. I'm not a perfect businesswoman every day. But I know that I'm spending my life trying to do the things that are best for me and the people around me. And I try to live as as much as I can without any regrets. And also, it's um, also sounds very simple, this idea of accepting ourselves at this moment, moment by moment, and not kind of trying to hold down to ideas we have about, like you said, what we could be in the future, but just 
living in the moment. That's like huge to me. In your book, you have so many practices and you mentioned meditation, which is uh, wonderful for quieting the mind and open up the space. For you, is meditation a spiritual practice? Yeah, I. it's funny. Spirituality for me is interesting because I, I didn't grow up in a religious household or anything like that. And we didn't really ever talk about any type of spirituality. But after I became sick, um, I guess I became more in tune with some of the energies around me and within my own body. And I think I'm very, you know, nature is very spiritual for me. I love being out in nature, animals, as you can see in my artwork and, <laughs> yes, and yeah, things. Um, and I just, it's a, it is a component for a lot of people and for me. And I think, I think you definitely get in tune with some of something, you know, whatever it is for you. And, and for me, that spirituality is just trying to find who I am and what I want each moment to moment. And, you know, just kind of utilize those energies around me. And that's um, interesting when you say nature and spirituality, you connect them. So I'm wondering what is it about nature that it's spiritual? Yeah, I don't, I think there's so many types of energies in the world and I, they're, they're so strange, you yeah. know, and I don't, <laughs> I don't know anything really about them, but mm -hmm. it's, I know they're there and I can feel them. And I, when I'm in nature, I feel like plants, animals, you know, other living things just give off such good energy. And especially this time of year for us, you know, I live in Vermont and so it's springtime and we finally have a few flowers and leaves popping up and, uh, you know, the snow is finally gone, <laughs> hopefully for good. And, you know, I just, you just feel this burst of energy, um, and the sunshine, you know, like just anything outside. I just, I love going for a walk outside, getting the blood flowing. I think that's a good type of energy and releasing those endorphins and being outside does that too. Kind of goes back to that comment. I think I made it, you made about movement because life is movement. It's constantly changing. Um, I mean, it feels like it. So it might yeah. be that. It's sort of that phrase about, you know, a river, like the water is never the same in the same place. It keeps flowing downward. And, you know, that's that's our life, too, is that it, you're never in the same place twice. You know, you can never relive moments. And so the moments in the past are are done and the moments in the future are not guaranteed. You know, you don't know what they're going to be like. And so each moment to moment is really critical. And a few more warm-up questions for you. The next one's about the purpose of the human experience. What do you think that is? Hmm. There are so many, so many options. <laughs> yes, right. I'm, Possibilities, yeah. I guess I, you know, I would say I don't, I don't know. And I guess I'm okay with not knowing. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, my purpose for, for my, you know, life and, and living really is just to, to find a way to be content and to help others try to do that as well, whatever that might mean. And so my life has been really chaotic and, and challenging. And I've been through things that, you know, <laughs> most people three times my age have not been through, you know, um, and so it's been a really challenging life. And I think learning how to slow down and focus has been really 
essential for me. And I think the purpose is really just to, to find what you are meant to do if you can and, and go do that thing. Um, because like I said, the future isn't guaranteed. So you don't want to (laughs) settle. Yes, I agree. I agree. I love the word content that you used. That kind of, um, I connect that with inner peace, two words I often use. Yeah, that brings peace, right? Not just calm, but the sense of acceptance, of unconditional love. Right. It's not It's not that every day you're going to be, you know, giggling and, and you know, having a perfect thing. It's just that you can get, you know that you can get through everything and you know who you are and your core values and you can, you can really just live your life the best way that you can. And a few more questions. Success. What is your idea of success these days? What is to be successful to you? You know, I would say kind of the same thing is just, you know, learning your purpose and being able to kind of thrive within your own life. Um, I think that that is success to me. I, I, you know, I don't necessarily equate it with a certain amount of money or anything like that. I, I find success to be more if you can be content and if you can can live your life and kind of try and live without regrets like we talked about. What is your understanding of healing? Healing is is challenging because, you know, I've been chronically ill for 13 years. And for the first six and a half years, I didn't have a diagnosis and I was mostly bedridden. And so and I'm and I'm still not 100 percent, even though I've been on treatment for the last the last six and a half years. Um, so it's been a lot. It's been a very long haul. And when I gave birth last year, I got more sick again for a little while and so I've been, you know, having even more challenges and then COVID hit. <laughs> so, you know, but healing, I think to me is a very mind and body connected, um, thing. It's very, you know, I don't think you can heal your body if your mind is not ready for it. And I think the, you know, the opposite might be the same. And so I think it's really important to think of healing as a full body experience and, you know, really think about like what you're putting in your body and how you're, how you're treating yourself. And if you're giving yourself that, that self-care and the rest that we need, um, and just the, the love that you need to give yourself. You wrote the book, How to Crush Self-Doubt and Gain Real Confidence. Two initial questions. How did you become a writer? What was the main inspiration and intention of writing your book? Um, I became a writer. I guess I've always loved writing. That's yeah. one of the few things that I've done as a kid that I continue to still, you know, love doing. Yeah. And these, the three books that I've written, the first two were actually for artists based on, you know, how to build your art business and and marketing. And those happened because I saw a need for it and, and people really cued in on what I was talking about and, and it seemed to really help people. So that book, the first book just sort of flew out of me. Yeah. <laughs> My fingers were cramping. I was typing so quickly. <laughs> and then, you know, artists especially have a really hard time with self-doubt. Yeah. You know, we're, we're stuck in our studios by ourselves, not socializing. <laughs> and, and it's really challenging to put ourselves into our work and then, and then show it to the rest of the world and see what they're going to think. And, 
there's a lot of self-doubt that's really prevalent in that world. And then I started realizing it's, it's just everywhere, you know, and I, I had really severe self-doubt when I came out of being bedridden for those years because I hadn't socialized in six years. And it was just, I had to crawl my way back into society and socializing and it was really challenging. And I just felt very small. (laughs) I felt very, I felt, you know, kind of unattractive and sick, you know, and just inexperienced. And, you know, everyone had experienced all these things and I had not. And I, for a while, I just thought my perspective wasn't valid because I hadn't been able to do the things that other people had been able to do. And so I got through that and I really, I learned the techniques in this book and I really focused on those and, and they just, they helped so much. And when I started talking to other people about them, they were saying, you know, you need to, you need to get this out there. (laughs) And I was thinking with my child, you know, like, okay, I I definitely need to teach my children these techniques, you know, and and this and that. And then I was like, gosh, that's kind of selfish. Why, why would I only teach my children? (laughs) You know, like this is pretty prevalent everywhere. I should be teaching more people. (laughs) True. So we have three books. The first one I just mentioned, How to Crush Self-Doubt and Gain Real Confidence. And you also wrote two other books, um, more for artists and creatives. And the names, um, How to Build Your Art Business with Limited Time and Energy and How to Communicate Effectively for Artists and Creatives. So self-doubt. Before that, Karina, let me ask you this question. How did you become a professional wildlife artist? It's kind of a funny story just because I hadn't really done artwork before I got sick and two years into being, you know, bedridden and in excruciating chronic pain for some reason, I don't know what it's that destiny thing again. (laughs) I picked up a pencil and a piece of old poster board and I started drawing and I've always been, um, you know, drawn quote to animals, um, no pun intended. And I, you know, I immediately started drawing animals and it just, it really helped me get through some of that time. And, and I would start hanging them on the walls and prove to myself that I could accomplish something. There was something I could still do. And there was visual proof of it, you know, on the walls. And then I didn't know if I was going to be any good at it or not. And I was stuck in this room. And so I would ask my parents and they would be like, of course, it's great. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, I don't know if I can trust their opinion. They're talking to their chronically ill child, you know. And then once Mm -hmm. I started putting them out into the world a little bit, people went gaga, you know, and really, really just love it. And and it went from there. So when it comes to self-doubt, you um, in your book, you say a lot of self-doubt comes from comparison. So my question is, is this how self-doubt develops usually? And what are some other causes of self-doubt from your perspective? I think comparison is, is definitely a trap we fall into. And we, you know, we're constantly, we're a social species. We're constantly, you know, looking at each other and Oh, you know, her clothing, his hair, (laughs) you know, funny, but yeah, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Different things. And it's, 
it's just a it's a very natural thing to do. Um, And we we do it in school. We do it with sports. We do it with, you know, any anything that we grow up with. We're just used to comparing ourselves to others. And so if you take art, for example, and you start drawing and you look at someone else's artwork and you're not as good or you don't think you're as good that's natural, you know, and, and it just takes time and it it doesn't really do you any good to compare because it doesn't matter if you're better or worse than someone else. It doesn't, it doesn't change anything. Um, and I think, you know, self-doubt hardly ever happens alone. Lots of times it's, you know, caused by anxiety or depression or some, some form of that. And I've dealt with that my whole life for both of those, um, in different ways. And I think when you, when you work on your self doubt, you have to work on those as well. So there, there's a lot in the book about, you know, techniques to help with those as well, because I think that's just really, really commonly associated. Yeah. I want to ask you questions about anxiety. Um, you, there are different kinds, right, Karina, of anxiety. So talk to me about the different kinds and what are the ones that, um, directly connected to self-doubt or would you say all of them or some of them? I would say most of them. The biggest one that I hear about a lot is social anxiety Um, because, and that's what I had a lot of. And that's because, you know, that social anxiety kind of plays into our imposter syndrome and wondering if people are thinking that we're some sort of fraud or, you know, other people looking at us or judging us and that, that kind of all develops into self-doubt, um, but also anxieties about going and doing things, um, anxieties that are triggered by little things, you know, um, there's, there's a lot of different types of, you know, I used to have panic attacks just at home by myself. And I, I think a lot of it was caused by my chronic insomnia at the time. So some of it is very physical, um, and some of it is very emotional. <laughs> and as we know, those are very tightly connected. Um, but it's, you know, you have to kind of decide w- or figure out what is causing it in order to figure out how to help yourself. Um, and sure. sometimes some of the techniques, you know, talk about things that you can physically do to help with those. When I think about anxiety, I think about fear. But then you just mentioned uh, one type of anxiety that I didn't think about, which is the one coming from insomnia, not sleeping well, and then the body automatically acts the brain in a certain way. So would you say that most anxieties are triggered by fear, unconscious fear? Yeah, I would say a lot of anxiety and depression is connected to a sense of dwelling. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. if you're dwelling on your fear, Mm -hmm. if you're dwelling on something that's going to happen in the future, you know, that's a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, you're dwelling on things that happened in the past. You're dwelling on things about yourself that you don't like. You're dwelling, you know, dwelling on these negative things. And fear is a huge factor. And and we always think of fear as being something bad. And it's not, you know, if you can kind of reframe your perspective, you know, sometimes you can think, okay, I'm not scared. I'm excited because you're your body has this very similar reaction to both. And so it's your body trying to help you be at your prime ability. You know, um, your heart's going to race a little more. You're going to be breathing more. You're going to, and if you can kind of control that and, and see that, um, happening in your body, 
you can help to use that extra energy that is, you know, created to actually have it help you instead of hurt you. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Utilizing the energies and not judging them to be negative automatically just because the way they manifest. Like you said, healing has a lot to do with the mind. You cannot heal really the body if the mind's not connected or it's not in alignment with what we want. And then let me see other topics that you talk. I love the way you talk about that happiness. And I think gratitude, too, you mentioned, shouldn't be taught in schools. Yeah, my so I gave a TED talk and it was that, you know, why gratitude should be taught in schools. And it's just there's a lot of these things, you know, that a lot of techniques in this book that include gratitude. And I feel like if I had learned these things when I was a child, then I would have been better prepared for all of the, you know, curveballs life threw me. <laughs> and and perhaps it wouldn't have been so difficult to get through these things. And I wouldn't have had to deal with the, you know, suicidal thoughts that I had during that time of being so sick, things like that. I, I wonder if a lot of our societal problems, even like bullying, the anxiety, depression, addiction, you know, a, a lot of these things are are connected. And I wonder if we learned some of these very simple techniques growing up, if we could, if we could help that. Oh, that would be so great. Have you tried to approach the school systems? I was going to right before COVID, you know, I was going to give birth. And then a few (laughs) months after that, I was going to reach out and that's when COVID hit. So I'll be doing that soon. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. That, yeah, that's the way to do it. I agree. We need to have more, not just knowledge, but actually wisdom, because a lot of the techniques you mentioned in the book has a lot to do with self-awareness, self-knowledge. So it's not just about absorbing information and living at the intellectual level, but kind of seeing that, as you call it, energies flowing within the body and kind of working with ourselves as children doing that. Are you teaching your children? Are they How are they doing with those practices? <laughs> well, so my son, he's only 17 months old. And mm. so, but he's already, I've, I've already <laughs> taught him how to do deep breathing. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so yeah. he, you know, if he's kind of throwing a bit mm-hmm. of a tantrum or doesn't, you know, doesn't want something or <laughs> I'll, I'll sit him down and we'll talk, you know, we'll talk and then, we'll, you know, we'll both do some deep breathing and he'll do the deep breathing and calm himself down. And it's really amazing that he's already, you know, doing that. So, yeah, so it's been really, it's been really great. And he's a very, he's an amazing little boy. And um, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how, how he grows up. (laughs) Yeah, that'll be fun for you to watch, right? The development. Um, And we're almost at the end. And I have so many questions here for you. Way too many. (laughs) But let me see. So the practices you have so many, it's really rich and generous, your book. And I love, love, love the uh, learning to say no. That's a whole chapter have a section you have there. It's something that I need. (laughs) So I focused on it. And um, the way you talk about guilt, we already mentioned that. Um, And decision making. You said something interesting about making decisions. Uh, decision making, it's easier when we are calm. So that's another reason to kind of establish that um, state of calmness so we can make better choices. And you have lots of tips. You call them general tips. 
um, some of the ones that caught my attention. I actually want to, I'd like to ask you this one. You said the week, month, year test. Talk <laughs> to me about that practice. <laughs> um, so I, I realized at one point <laughs> that, my, you know, with my anxiety, especially, uh-huh. and, and relationships too, was a big, big thing for this is that you think about, you know, first, like, you know, is this a crisis? Okay. You know, whether or not whatever is happening that's kind of triggering you is a crisis. And then you think, am I going to worry about this? Or am I going to even remember this or have a problem with this in a week or a month or a year? So a year from now, whatever's happening that's making you so nervous or angry or frustrated or whatever it is that has a negative emotion, are you, you know, a year from now, is it still going to be important? Are you still going to be holding on to that? And if not, then is it as important as you really feel like it is in the moment? It might not be. If within only a week, you might not even be focusing on it, then it's really probably not something you should be overreacting to. So it works really well with relationships. And, you know, if someone, if any, any sort of relationship, so it could be a brother and sister, it could be a parent, could be your spouse, whatever. Um, if they do something that kind of bothers you, you know, hold back for a minute and think critically, is this going to bother, you know, should I, should I speak up? Should I say something that could cause an argument? Let's see, is this going to bother me in a week or a month or a year? Okay, let's decide, you know, pick our battles. <laughs> right, because it has to do with values, right? If it's something right. that's is deep down our core value, then will bother us. Yeah, at any time right. for sure. And if it's going to hmm. anything that's going to keep bothering you a year from now, then you definitely need to address it. Talk to me for a moment about intuition, Karina. I think everybody has their intuition and and a at different levels. And I think it's really important to kind of hone your intuition. And I, you know, a lot of my doctors and and I've had a lot of them, (laughs) they all say by the end of the first meeting, wow, you seem really in tune with your body. You know, you're, you're seem, and I think that's a lot of intuition too, right? Is kind of that ability to focus, that ability to think about different consequences of what might happen and sort of internalize that and, and make decisions. You know, I think intuition is very critical for making decisions, but I also think it can be muddled when you're really anxious because sometimes you're, you think something is a bad idea and it might be that, that intuition feeling, but it could be just your anxiety kind of masquerading and saying, you know, keeping you from wanting to do whatever it is. So the calmer you are, the more I think you can trust your intuition. (laughs) True. Yeah. It goes back to that state of quietude. Yeah. And listening to oneself. Is that the best practice for you has been meditation or do you have other, I mean, besides walking in nature and being around nature? Right. Walking is really great. And I, I try to do some like active meditation when I'm walking, focus on my breathing, things like that. It's really good for people who can't sit still, right? Um, it's this kind of active meditation as, as well, at least to get you started. And I think meditation has been really good. I think positive affirmations, things like I am strong, I am important, I am worthy, you know, I am capable. 
all these things, I think it's really important to say those to yourself every day. Um, it's a huge confidence booster, even if you're not really feeling those things at the moment, when you say them, it just triggers your brain to think more like that. And I think that's really, it's really been critical and just taking the time to move slowly, you know, not always be in a rush, um, taking that time to just, you know, walk leisurely or, you know, get, give myself extra time to get ready so that I'm not rushing. Cause when I rush, I just get anxious. Um, and and I feel worse about myself. (laughs) So it's all connected. Why do you think so many people are so petrified of failure? What are some of the reasons? I think it goes back to that social anxiety as well. And just that we're social beings and we care about what other people think. And we, we don't understand when we see a very limited amount of what other people do and think and say, and we tend to see the, a lot of the best of them, right? Social Mm. media is, you know, typically everybody's best photo and everybody's best moments. (laughs) And, you know, so we're, we're all of course showing our, what we think is our best selves because that's what we want people to see. But then we forget that, you know, everybody Mm. has a behind the curtains (laughs) side that is, is struggling just as much as, as you are, or we are, or, you know, everybody, especially after this year of 2020, I think people are really struggling with anxiety and depression and self-doubt in ways that they maybe haven't before. And I think the thought of failure is that it just, it just proves that you're not good enough, you know, but it's really, it's, it's critical in order to succeed. There's, there's nobody that doesn't fail and none of us are good at something right away, as frustrating as that is. (laughs) And even, even for things like this interview, you know, I get nervous and stuff to do my speeches or workshops or my interviews. And I think beforehand to myself, you know, if I fail, if I sort of bomb <laughs> this interview, like what's the worst that would happen? You know, what's, I mean, really what's the worst that would happen? And it's not, I mean, it could be bad, but it's not going to be a life changing horrible event, you know, and we all learn from it. So if I, if I stutter, you know, or do anything like that, I can learn from that for the next one. I can learn from anything, you know, and I think that's really important is to, to trust yourself and to know that no matter what happens, if you fail or succeed, you're going to learn from, from anything. Right. Right. And being willing to see what lesson is in there. Oh, I love that message of, yeah, being compassionate, that's vulnerable. It's very important. Yes. That, that's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to right. make mistakes. And you talk in the book about practices. You say practice makes better, not perfect. Right. Uh, I, I don't like the word perfect. Yeah. yeah, me too. Because there's no such a thing. You see that in nature. Right. It's so amazing. Everything's so different and imperfect, but at the same time, so incredibly magical and beautiful. So we can never judge nature. I don't think so. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, right. some people I, might do, but. I think our differences are what make us so interesting. So yeah, to yeah. the fact that, you know, this person has a crooked tooth or that, per- you know, I, I don't right. think it, it matters. I think all of these different things about us and our different experiences that create our different perspectives are really what make us unique. And we're almost at the end now. Before I ask you my final questions, would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? 
Let's see. I guess, yeah, I'll read a short passage. Yes, yeah. So it's it's from chapter 18. Um, it's part of what we already sort of talked about. It's just, uh, let's see. Self-doubt isn't typically something that happens by itself. It's usually accompanied, if not outright caused by, depression and or anxiety. Um, here's something to remember. Depression and anxiety are not part of you. Let me say that again. Depression and anxiety are not actually a part of you. They're not personality traits. They don't define you. They're not integral to your state of being. They're more like leeches that have attached themselves to you and you walk around feeling like they've become a part of you because you can't get them off. Meanwhile, they continue to suck the life out of you. It goes back to this courage to understand, to listen to ourselves more. Right. And and this whole book is really about, you know, who would you be and what would your life be like if you didn't have the baggage of your anxiety and depression and self-doubt? What was the hardest lesson to learn, Karina, about yourself in life as of today? Hardest lesson? I, wow, there's so many hard lessons. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's a tricky question. I Guilt pops up to mind very quickly because it was just so, so, so overbearing. I mean, it was just overwhelming amount of guilt that I have struggled with and trying when you're... When you're so sick that you can't even get yourself food, you know, you're relying on people so much to survive and you can't, I mean, I was so, I was stuck in bed, but I couldn't even read or watch television really. So what was I supposed to do? You know, I, I literally felt like a kind of a waste of space. And I think it was, it, it took me a long time to realize that I still had value and that, you know, I was going to get through that. And that, you know, the people around me still loved me despite those challenges and that I could continue to move forward and find purpose in my life. Two more questions. Uh, we talked about this living this life with no regrets. So if you knew you would die soon, meaning leaving the body, would you make any change or do anything in a different way? You know, I think about this sometimes and... I'm not sure that I would change very much. I think I try to live each day to the fullest. I always try to say I love you to the people that are around me when I say goodbye, if specifically for that reason. And I, you know, I think, I think if I were to, if I knew I was going to die, I'd probably leave a recording, yeah. <laughs> you know, just to, <laughs> just to make sure that every, you know, that I had my kind of final goodbye. Yeah. But other than that, you know, I think I try to live my life as best I can moment to moment and yeah, without the regrets. So I, I, I do what I can and I think I'd, I would still kind of do that. So my last question is, what are three things about life, you know, for sure, as of this moment? Oh, there's a lot of like sarcastic things come to mind. <laughs> oh, but now three things I know about life. Um, mm -hmm. Life is unpredictable. Yeah. I, you know, I've been throwing a lot of curveballs to the, I thought I had my life kind of planned out and that went completely off the rails. I think life is going to force you to adapt. I think adaptation is really key to success in any form. And being able to adapt to any sort of situation or thing that's thrown your way is really key. And the third, 
think life is really, I think one of the most important things in life is love. I think the people around us, that connection, um, I think love for yourself, love for your pets, <laughs> love mm-hmm. for, you know, anything of your interests and love for, for people, for the people around you is really crucial to a happy, healthy life. Thank you so much, Corinne, again, for your presence, your wisdom, your beautiful, inspirational work and you just being you. It's just a beautiful thing. I can't stop saying that because it is beautiful. <laughs> yeah, really. Thank you so much. <laughs> and before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services and future projects? Uh, you can go and find all of it on my website, which is just www.carinathurston.com. So it's C-O-R-R-I-N-A-T-H-U-R-S-T-O-N.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks so much. Bye for now, Karina. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Karina Thurston and her work, please visit karinathurston.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.